0: Welcome to Jewish History with Rabbi David Katz, connecting the human side to Jewish history. Hi, it's Sunday midday. Let's, this time I can start the proper time, beginning of the week. Uh, I have a few minutes. Uh, today's podcast is being sponsored by Dove Hirsch. He did two, the one last week and one today. Very appreciative. I don't have anybody for the rest of the week. I don't have anyone from now on. So I hope some people step up to the plate, as Dove did, and um, will be able to push this forward with the Parsha and the but right now I don't have anyone. I hope some people will volunteer. Uh, i tell you what I want to talk about. Um, <clears throat> this is an idea, the idea popped in my head. Because uh, at this time of the year, <coughs> still have the cold, you know um, before Purim, I always do uh, go through the and Magar- McGill Magmar- every year. Uh, I have a CM usually on Purim. and I uh, hope to do that this year, but you know we'll more about that later anyhow, um, and so one of the one of the things that uh, I, comes to my mind when I do myself in McGill because it's all about really ancient history over here are complicated because there's no outside sources for the story of Purim other than Purim. But that's true of all the Jewish material, you know, the book of Ezra and and all the rest of it. Esther, Ezra, Nehemiah, I spoke about before. Anyway, I just happened to open up, because I was thinking about this past week, uh, open the Megillus Tainus. This past week was Purim cotton. That means in the 14th is Purim cotton. 15th is Shushan Purim cotton, <laughs> And that just made me think about the Megillus Tainus. And I'm opening my favorite edition of it. I'm looking over here which is in Steinshaus in the middle of uh, a nice big uh, print in the middle of Tinus and Megillah, there's a whole bunch of days um, that the Gemara actually in Rosh Hashanah and Yerushalmi and Megillah kind of mention. And that is, uh, Megillah's Tinus dates other than, than Purim. So indeed, if you look, I'm not going to go through all of them, but if you look in Megillah's Tinus, you see, Ibeisar, Bechamesar, Beyomi, Puria in the little list, but so they certainly note in the McGill's Titus that the holiday of Purim, even though it's a biblical holiday, but you know, you can tell from the fact that it's included in the McGill's Titus, as we know from the from the Gemara itself that not everybody agreed that Purim should be a biblical holiday, but nevertheless they wanted to commemorate it as McGill's Titus Day because the Jewish people <coughs> were saved from destruction, right? Um, although, not necessarily... On the fourteenth and fifteenth of 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 Adar, but you know that's what it says, Megillah, and then you have on the on the sixteenth and seventeenth and the twentieth. Okay, so I just want to do the sixteenth. So that means this past week, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, this past Thursday, in Adar Rishon, and of course in a few weeks it'll be the sixteenth of Adar Sheni. So it says something quite uh, enigmatic, which sometimes you get in the Megillahs Tainus if you know that. And it says, Osar Sharu Lamivne Shur Jerusalem That on the 16th of Adar, they declared it a Megillus Tinus Day, which means a day that you have to celebrate, and you can't have a fast. Nowadays, you'd, you'd say no and something like that. Um, they declared it such a day. And what were they commemorating? So, something that's obscure. There are many dates in the Megillus Tinus that are obscure. It says that they gave permission, Sharla Mivnei Jerusalem. They gave permission to, to, to build the walls of Jerusalem. Okay. Now, sometimes, after the first line, what they call the Scoliadel, they might give you some shot. Some are better, some are worse. It's, it's, it's a complicated subject. Over here, all it says is that Mivnei Shasrua Goyim, that Jerusalem's wall had been knocked down, Ivim the enemy had knocked down the walls of Jerusalem, (laughs) and when they began to build a wall, they declared a yontuv. Because God likes it, he's happy when Jerusalem is built, and others, God likes it when there's a wall around Jerusalem. That's a sign of a chash of a city in those days. And and, and a bunch of psikkim like that. Okay? Uh, uh, A bunch of psikkim. Now, Uh, what is this referring to? So first of all, nobody knows. Let's start with that. Having said that nobody knows, so then there are guesses. You know, there's uh, suggestions, right? So the easiest way to approach this, if you look at Mefarshim and things like that, is they'll say, you somehow try to tie this together with the book of Nehemiah, meaning that there is a Sefer Ezra Nehemiah. It's actually one of my favorite books. And Nehemiah is a cupbearer to the king in, in Persia. And he's a Jewish Jew. And so even though he's a high official in the Persian court, and just imagine what it means if you're a Shabbos Jew to reach the position of high official in the imperial court, especially Iranians, you know, they're like, they're nuts. So, the megalomaniacs. So, um, and yet he was. And he really was a good Jew. And he heard about the fact that Yerushalayim, the walls are knocked down and have not been rebuilt. And that means that the city is exposed to Arab attacks and all kind of other junk from the Shomronim and from the this and from that. You know, that's the book of Nehemiah. If you're not familiar with the book of Nehemiah, I always advise people to read it. It's very interesting. Besides everything else, you read it like a book, you know. It's just a very interesting story. And he is can-do. He doesn't take no for an answer. You can tell how he rose high in the bureaucracy because of his uh, stick to it in and his and his uh, positive personality. Then Nehemiah said, I'm going to um, take my life in my hands and ask the king of Persia for a leave of absence so I can go be the governor of Jerusalem and make sure that the walls get built around the city and that things get fixed the way they're supposed to be. Put Yerushalayim on its feet. Now, in real, real reality, from the point of view of a megalomaniacal Persian king, uh, you're you, It's an insult. Don't you want to spend time serving me? Isn't that the highest madrig in the world? How can anything other than that be considered, you know, com- competition? And you're actually saying you don't appreciate the extremely high honor which it was to be serving in the court on me personally. Now, mind you, he was the cupbearer to the king, so mainly he he drinks. Let's put it this way: that's means the king entrusts his life to this guy. Because, you know, they're always poisoning everybody right and left in politics. And if I have a a cupbearer, meaning if I have somebody who serves me the wine, shot is I trust him not to poison me. That's a very high madriga. Um, And he must have a good salary and all the rest. of it. And now you want to give this up to go back to the stupid little city, Jerusalem, which is a garnish with a garnish. The city was flattened by Nebuchadnezzar. Zurubov and some other guys that came back set up like a a small operation, you know what I mean? And uh, it's like it's a hick town compared to Shusharabira, you know. So um, it sounds like you're more Jewish than than a servant of Persia. I mean, he, he could have got himself in a lot of trouble. Afal became he takes his life in his hands. He prays to God, that's in the book of Eben and he asks the king for for uh, permission, and the king lets him go. Which means that Nehemiah stood in such high repute with the king. He must have really known how to handle the Iranians. He stood in such a high madrig with the king that the king can understand that as a Yid, he would have sentimental reasons for Yerushalayim. You see? It's a very interesting relationship. If he would have said, I want to go somewhere else, he probably would have gotten killed. But he said, listen, I'm Jewish. You know how it goes. A Jew feels special about Yerushalayim. It's just very interesting. And the king lets him go. And he has a whole bunch of adventures that I can't through the whole thing now. But he gets the job done. He has a lot of junk from the Jews inside. They give him a lot of trouble, like they did Moshe Rabbeinu. He has a lot of junk from the Arabs on the outside. What was the guy? Sanballat and Tobia and all the whole cast of characters that they try to mess him over. And it's very re- reminiscent of Israeli history, I would say, from like... 1900 to 1948, some, something like that, or 1880 1948, there's a lot of parallels there. It's extremely interesting, except that the Jews in Israel did not have an Nehemiah in the 20th century, otherwise we would have had a Jewish state before Hitler could kill the six million, but okay, that's a separate thing. Anyhow, and he finally gets the job done. And he goes through great detail in the book to describe all the obstacles he had to overcome in order to build the wall around Yerushalayim, which I remember he gets done in 52 days, I think, if I, if I remember correctly. And there was a Megillah's tinest date in Elul or something, where they c- c- celebrate the completion of the walls of Jerusalem. So the problem, of course, is it's more than 52 days from the 16th of Adar down till uh, you know Elul or something like that. So, uh, so, what's going on? And if you get one of these fancy schmancy McGillis uh, um, like I'm holding in my hand right now, you know, from the Zichr Iron, but they put a lot of nice Meforsham on it, and all that, you know, rabbinic interpretations, I think they patched with this to some degree, okay? Um, because I see, just looking, it's, I'm looking at a page with the McGillis Tynas at the top, you know, with Nakudos the, the way I like it. And then, like a mikros gadolas, so to set up. Different shim. And Yaakov Emden says, notice, this is, a, I mean, it's no chidish on my part. It's no no smart observation on my part. If you're just familiar with the basic story of Nehemia, you'll see the problem I just laid out. And Yaakov Emden says, That this Miguel's tiny days about building wall is after Nehemia time. Because he started on the 7th of Av, meaning. That he just worked it backwards 52 days from the 7th of comes out to whatever day, you know what I mean, uh is mentioned in the book of the So I hope I didn't get you confused. So I'm simply raising the question: so what does this enigmatic date refer to that they declared in McGillus Tynest date on the day after Shushampur, meaning on the 16th of Adar, to commemorate? Everybody was super happy. The Sanhedrin obviously made this, otherwise, it wouldn't be in Megillus' Tynus. So something turned the Sanhedrin on to be very happy and declare a permanent date that the Jews should never forget on the level of, like, you know, these other McGillis-Tinus dates, the day that they started, the sharo, they got permission and they started to uh, build the walls around Jerusalem. Um, I think it's a very, a very interesting question. Now, you start out by saying you don't know, because when it comes to these McGillis-Tinus questions, there are a lot of... The only thing one can do, from the point of view of being a historian is try to see as many of the sources that are possible. I know it pretty well. He said, What possible sources could this be referring to? But also, at the same time, acknowledge that it could be totally something that we simply don't know about. In other words, when did they get permission to build the Wall of Jerusalem? I don't know. It could be in the Roman time, the Greek time, the Persian time, very vague. you know? It could be some story from the Maccabean period. It's possible that it's, it refers... To something you know, you got to be honest enough always in history, or you're supposed to be honest enough to say there could be something we don't know anything about other than the source. Okay, having put that on the table, and since this is Purim time, it's coming up, so I'm gonna tell you what I think. There's is a guess, right? Um, I think, and it's as follows. We've got some fun with this. Uh, in my opinion. This this is uh, something happens in the aftermath of Purim, and I say it on the following basis: You and I know there's a thing called Shushan Purim. What's we'll Shushan Purim? Because there was an extra day of killing the enemies in Shushan, so it should just be Shushan. But the Khazal say that it's not just Shushan, but rather we go, as you know, from the cities that had a wall from the time of Yosher Why do they do that? Not to embarrass Jerusalem. You know this. I mean, I'm sure many people listening to this are familiar. These are basic features of Purim. Right? Not to embarrass the city of Shalim. So, in other words, if we went strictly by the history of Purim, you'd say that it should be on the 14th for, um, you know, Prozim, for regular cities, and it should be in the 15th in Shushan. Because in Shushan, they got an extra day to kill the, the bad guys in Shushan. But when they set up the holiday of Purim, they didn't do it exactly that way. But they said any city like Shushan that has a wall. Even though, understand this well, this extra permission did not historically happen in all the other cities. So, if I'm confusing you, I'll put it in simple terms. There's one town called Shushan. There's another town called Damascus. Ah, you heard of that. In the time of Mordecai and Esther, there was Damascus. I'm just picking one example. Damascus had a wall, but Achashverosh didn't say, oh, Queen Esther, you know, what does it say in the Megillah? Sharmadino, something like that. She said, you know, the Jews killed this and this number, and give me an extra day to take out these other Mamzers that are in Shushan. She didn't say the other Mamzers that are all over the empire. It wasn't even possible. You know, saying, mohar," that you should open me, give me another day. That only works logistically in Shushan. They didn't have a telegraph at that time. And so Queen Esther is saying, here in Shushan, we got a bunch of Amalekites, and we need another day. And so the king said, fine. And to commemorate that, they made the Purim, because, you know, a two-day business, 14th and 15th. But the 15th was, historically, only happened in the city of Shushan. Damascus had a wall, but Damascus didn't have permission for the Jews to kill their enemies on the 15th. So let's say I was a Jew living in Damascus, and there were Jews living in Damascus at that time. Ancient, ancient city. And... uh, and they had their share of uh, anti-Semitic Mamzer or whatever, so uh Leoza long before because after all the story, of Purim happens on Pesach time, as you know Haman is dead I think the first day of, if I remember correctly, the first day of Chalamoy, something like that so that means they have another year almost to get the word out uh, even if you take off a little bit of time because they fasted and it's not the other, you know, what was it? Siva or whatever, but it's plenty of time and so the word gets to me in Damascus, just for the heck of it, say, in, uh, Sibon, Sibon, in Tammuz, right? Uh, of, for sure. So by of of that summer, I know that I can go and buy uh, machine guns, howitzers, bazookas. And when it comes to 14th of Adair, this coming year, I'm going to go and take these guys out. I'm going all through the anti-Semitic neighborhood and blow the heck out of them. But only on that day. That's what the king's decree was. I can't go in Damascus and say, hey, we skipped a few people, and now the time's over. The Persian ruler of Damascus would say, no, you had 24 hours or whatever it was, 12 hours, and that you had the Chabarang. And now 14th is over, and you can't do it anymore. Now we're back to law and order, you see? So, it was a rare case where the law and order was suspended in the favor of the Jews throughout the history. When there's a breakdown of law and order, the law and order is is, is in, in, against the Jews, <coughs> like pogroms and junk like that. The police used to look away and say, for the next 24 hours, or whatever, you don't go and kill all the Jews you want or pillage them and things like that. That happened a lot of time in Jewish history. Purim is unique, there's all the way around that they told the Jews, there's no limits, and for the next 24 hours, you can go kill any anti-Semite, you kill any Amalekite, and so forth, right? But it's like one of these game shows, you know, TV shows. You have ten minutes in, in, in the uh, to hop around in the in the supermarket, you know, and fill your bag and take out. And after ten minutes or ten hours, whatever, then the, the the game's over, and whatever you have, you have; whatever you don't have, you don't have. So if I was Jewish and living in Damascus, I'd say, "Listen, guys, we got to get this right. Got to have a list." and do this in an organized way, and go after every one of these mobs, because by tonight, it's over. You see? Ah, what about the fact that Damascus had a wall just like Shushan? It doesn't mean anything. El mai after the whole story of Purim is over, as we all know, in the Megillah, Mordechai and Esther had an agenda to make this a Jewish holiday, one of the holidays. And they wrote letters to everybody it's in the end of Megillah, right? Of the of, of Megillah's Esther and there were letters, and there were negotiations according to Hazal, you know, they wanted the, um, what is it called? Yisr Malacha, but the Jews wouldn't accept that, so on and so forth. So they basically ended up declaring a two-day holiday, 14 and 15, 14 for Prozim, 15 for Shushan. No, that's not true. Not just for Shushan, but for any city they had a wall in the time of Shushan. Now, why? Historically, the special dispensation that had been done to Shushan did not apply to other cities. Moreover, they ended up making it as the, we know in halacha and the Gemara that no, not every city from the time of Shushan, but every city from the time of Ben-Nun. Why not every city in time of Shushan? That would make more sense. The answer is it would embarrass Jerusalem. How would embarrass At the time of Haman and Mordecai, Jerusalem did not have a wall. So if you said that the cities who keep the 15th or the cities who had a wall in the time of Shushan, Jerusalem would not be one of them. And that means we would halachically treat Jerusalem like Arya like an open city, which is like a disgrace in ancient thinking you know, what, you're not in a city, you don't have a wall around you, Bistabapkis, you know, and therefore, in order to, uh, what's the right word, Uh, you know, legislate in Jerusalem, I can't think of the verb, you know, to carve them in, to help Yerushalayim out, so they structured the decree, what you and I call the the Halach of Shushan Porim, in such a way that would include Yerushalayim, which, by the way, is really funny, because as a result of that, I believe that today, the only city in the world where you have fifteenth, I think, is Yushalayim. There are once in a while discussions in the Halachic literature about some other cities, you know. But Lema'isa, as far as I know, um they don't ever practice the fifteenth other than Jerusalem. Like I say, if you look in Zevin, you know, there's something about some cities Israel, lewd and whatever. But Lemaisa what you and I call Shushim Purm is Porim. <coughs> this year, where are they going to do it on the fifteenth? You schleim. There was some piquant stuff in the Chubmyava about Prague and all you know, some uh arcane and weird weirdisms. But Lemaisa, you know, outside the Middle East there weren't world cities really in the time of Akhaj would be which would be approximately four approximately four hundred BC, something like that. 400, 450 BC. Eh, nobody had walls outside the Middle East. Uh, maybe Damascus, you know, but I don't think any Jews in Damascus, and I'm not sure what their Minog is. But be that as it may. My point is, there are no Jews today in Shushan, and not if they have any brains. And it's the Yerushalayim. It's a warrant Yerushalayim. So that means Jerusalem did not have a wall. And by the way, that is the shot. <coughs> that Nehemiah comes later because Nehemiah is coming time King Artaxerxes, who is after Ahasuerus. I don't want really to go into all the details. I've spoken about in the past, how you work out these Persian kings, at least as I understand them. <coughs> <coughs> I'm pretty sure I'm right, but this is how it goes. Now, let's tie it to our holiday of the 16th of Adar that we just had, which caught my attention. The Miguel's Tainas. I think the following scenario. (laughs) I think the following scenario. Um, Haman is killed and Mordecai is raised to high position on on, on Pesach. The first thing they wanted to do was uh, stop the Haman business and, like I say, put out a counter-order that in the coming... 14th of Adar, which is almost a year away, although maybe less, by the time they got the decree, it was in Sivan, but whatever, eight or nine months away, uh, instead of instead of making a pogrom against us, we could make a pogrom against them. So every Jew get a 22, and they all went to uh, the gun clubs, and they uh, practiced like crazy, and when the time came, <coughs> You know, you went after them, it's them them coming after you. Shine. But is that all that happened? If I was Mordecai, I would have a bigger agenda. <clears throat> now I'm I'm not I'm, I'm saying this to be funny, I'm I'm speaking seriously over here. The big problem at the time of Ahashverish in general was not simply the Haman business, that was one episode, which was scary of course, <laughs> but one episode. <clears throat> But rather, the big story was um, Badayan, batalus Avidas, Base Eloha. The Base Amigdash project had been frozen a couple of decades <clears throat> prior to the Purim story. Now, I'm going by the Frum chronology, and the non from chronology doesn't exist, but I'm talking about the Frum chronology, the Seder Olam and all that stuff. If you go by the Frum chronology, so... About uh, 15 years, something like that, prior to Purim—prior um, to Purim, I say—the Jews had been allowed by Cyrus to return and start building—to return to Israel to Jerusalem under Zerubbabel, and to start building a base of <clears throat> And then, for certain reasons, Cyrus changed his mind and put in a stop order. Freeze everything. So you had, like—you see sometimes in some municipal situations— they start construction, and then it stops. It doesn't go anywhere. So that's the what the base of look like. And Cyrus never changed his mind. And Ahasuerus is clearly one of the kings that comes right after Cyrus, either one or two kings later. It's complicated, but I'm making it simple. And he maintained this order. So in other words, <clears throat> from the book of Ezra, it says that all during the time of Ahasuerus, the stop order remained in place. This verse in the Pusik of Ezra, in the book of Ezra, is in my opinion the basis of all these agadatas that you have in the where Rakhashver is a bad guy, because after all it's possible to portray him as a good guy, just an amiable dunce, you know, that Human and let him around by the nose, <laughs> and when Rakhashver says, I'm shocked, me who is that, who, I didn't know when to kill the Jews. It's possible to read this really, you know, as, as an accurate statement, and he gets angry at Haman for having, you know, misled him. And I see that's an Ibn Ezra and some other people learn it. And, uh, and therefore, he punishes the Haman. <clears throat> However, that does not fit. the And by the way, not only Ibn Ezra, a number of Mepharshim were like that. Because to the average Mepharsh in Jewish history, they couldn't fathom why would a king Wipe out the Jews, the Jews are a good source of money. Uh, you know, the, the kings usually protected the Jews, the Jews paid through the nose for it, but saying kings don't protect the Jews, so why would it be? Y- 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 yiko safely, and the king says, Sure, it don't make no sense, right? What do you mean, kings don't talk that way, kings don't do like that. That's what kings always see in history. You know what I'm saying? They're constantly harder for money. Constantly, constantly. Especially you're a jerk like Ahasuerus, you throw in these lavish parties. Somebody's got to pay for it, you know? So, how does that work? So, Elamai, they say to hum and fool them. That, right? However, the Chazal do not read Ahasuerus that way. As anybody who's familiar with the Gemara Megillah will tell you, or the Manish Rabba. And they always look at Ahasuerus as the evil partner. The famous story of the Kharitz and the Tell. you know, he needed the, the hole in the ground, he needed dirt, and the other guy said, take the dirt for nothing, all of which was a way of saying that I want to kill 6 million Jews, and the other guy said, oh, you're doing me a favor by killing 6 million Jews. Givaldic. right? That's a very different, what shall I say? That's a very different The basis of that is the fact that it says, in the book of Ezra, that the stop order remained all the way through the time of Ahasuerus. So, if he was king, I believe, for 14 years, if I remember correctly, uh, all those 14 years, he would not hear of any kind of uh, change. Which is interesting, because, on the one hand, according to the book of of Esther, he ends up being a big pro-Jewish. He makes Mordecai the prime minister, he gives him all this power. He says you can kill all your enemies, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Right? So you think Mordechai should be able to stop Zachin and get the king to say, you know, what the hell, let him go, build a base in Migdol. You know, why not? Who cares anymore? I mean, he's he's doing so many favors for the Jews after he, you know, after the death of Haman. But we don't find that because I'll tell you again. It says in the book of Ezra that all through the reign of Ahasuerus, the stop order remained, and it was only under the next king in very interesting circumstances, I believe I spoke about that in the podcast last year, very interesting circumstances that the base of gets built. But it certainly, don't, you know, finished up. But it certainly doesn't happen the time So you're left with a picture of a guy Ahasuerus, who's like many friends of the Jews in, 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 in history, which is, they had a certain anti-Semitism, you get it, I mean, even Truman, you know, had a certain anti-Semitism. So what? They did us a lot of favors, and it worked out good. You understand? I'm sure Trump, Trump has a certain anti-Semitism, but who cares? You know, as long as he helped Israel and stuff like that. You, you see what I'm saying? You look at it like that. So, um, clearly, Akash had a red line. I don't know exactly why, but it it comes out that even Mordechai, who was riding high. And Queen Esther, who had the king twisted around the finger, it seems, knew better than to broach certain subjects. For some reason or another, Ahasuerus was Meshuggah on the base of Mikdash. Uh, and there are many Chazals like that. You know, I'm sure a fair number of people listening to this have gone through the Mara Miguel one time or another, and certainly the first Periquot they got it all. And remember, the king says, I'll give you half the kingdom. And the Chazal say, but not the other half, not not the base of Megdosh. You know, in other words, for whatever reason, rebuilding the Jewish Temple was not on the was, was not up for discussion. Okay, uh, this may be the reason. This may be the source of the idea, which again is in the Chazal, but you know, you don't know exactly how to work these things out uh, in terms of literalness. That Achashverosh may have been one of the soldiers in Nebuchadnezzar's army when they burned down the temple. So maybe he was into that. I don't know. I mean, I say, I don't know. The the uh, Agatha sometimes, very suggestive, you get it? They're very suggestive. But you don't know for sure. Be that as it may, it's evident that the base of Mishnah is not built in the time of Queen Esther, and it's not up for discussion. Because I can tell you right now, a guy like Mordecai wants more than anything, as a firm Jew would want, to rebuild the base of Mishnah. I mean, you know, if he could, he would. You understand? The fact that he can, even though he's so tight with the king, shows you how strong the king was against rebuilding the base of mikdash. And Esther and Mordecai knew better than to push that button. Because it it could counter, you know, what's the right right word, you know, can go against you, right? it blow up in your face. But not the building of the wall around Jerusalem. That's my point. I'll bet you, I don't know, know, I'll bet you, that they got permission from the king to rebuild the wall around Jerusalem. Now, if that's the case, how come by the time you get to Nehemiah, the wall has not been built? Well, the, the wall has not been fully built, but because it says part of it is through, is beige, and so forth, and it's a whole mess. If you look at the book of Nehemiah, he did a physical inspection the first night he was there around the wall to see which parts were falling down, which parts. We're still good. Uh, but the but the the permission they get from the king to build the walls of Yerushalayim is the beginning of the process of the rebuilding of the whole business, which culminates in the building of the base of Yerusha and then the building of the full walls. So they got permission to build, and that's the language that says it says right over there. Sharu, amid they Shura de Ushalim, right? That they got permission to rebuild the walls of Ushalim. They apparently didn't carry it out. That doesn't surprise me. <laughs> these are all these schleppers. And the whole point of the book of Nehemiah is it required a Nehemiah to get the job done. You know, it's not what you think. So all you got permission to go ahead and do it. To actually execute it and make it happen is is a quite a project. Um quite a project. But this is a sign that the Queen now it's gotten in with the king, with And it's, um what is it, poetic in some ways because you have the 14th, the 15th, to 16th. The 14th is regular Purim where they killed the, the people all around the, the empire. The 15th is Shushan Purim where they killed the extra people Shushan Purim. And then on the 16th, they get permission, I mean that year, they get permission to, or the year after, whatever, they get permission to uh, build the wall around Yerushalayim. Apparently, they didn't carry it out. Meaning, they started, as had been the case with the Beit just before. They started, but they couldn't get the whole thing finished. Uh, maybe, and again, it's speculation, maybe Ahasuerus had second thoughts later on and didn't like the idea, and therefore they put it off. Maybe not. It's hard to tell. But the building wall around Yerushalayim we consider a very important event. There are many halachas that depend upon having a wall around Yerushalayim. There are many halachas that have to do with the ceremony being the Kaddish, the walls around Yerushalayim. this is all in the book of Nechemia and the Mishnah is in, in uh, Shavuos. Some people may remember that. And uh, I think, in my opinion, this is what they're referring to. So this would be part of the dividends of the holiday of Purim. The main thing, of course, being to save the life of the Jews and kill Haman and the Gansah Hevra. But then, the side effect side benefit is that they got permission to build around Yerushalayim. Now, it wouldn't surprise me. Now, uh, uh, like I say, I'm just speculating. It wouldn't surprise me if the following happens. You never know. Mind you, the king lives two years after the Purim story. Then he dies. Maybe he had a poison mushroom or something, you know. Maybe maybe she gave him one canadal too many, you know, uh, on purpose. But whatever the case is, uh it could be very much the following happened. They, they, they want to roll and push a little bit too far. They, they, they what do you call it, got permission to kill the, the enemies. Then they got permission to kill the enemies in the Shushan Extra. And then they asked to build the wall around Jerusalem. The and they got permission for that. And maybe then they went farther and they said, how about rebuilding the base of Mish? In which case the king blew up and said, no, 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 uh, I'll cancel everything. And maybe the building around the Royal Shulam also didn't happen. Uh, you know, because it's also... You know what I mean. How do you know when you push too far? I said they were smart enough to know not to do so. Maybe they weren't. Maybe they tried. And as a result, with the blowback, the king says, you know, not only I know when you build a basic mix, but forget the project of building the wall around Yerushalayim. Either way, in my opinion, this would fit very well with the chronology, as the Chazal tell us. Um, and the Nechemia would then be seen as the sort of Makabapatish, or the proper continuation of this enigmatic um, date, and I just have a feeling that this is uh, what happened, simply because it falls exactly in the time of Purim. You see, it falls exactly in the time of Purim, the day after Shushan Purim. So it sounds like there's some the juxtaposition indicates some kind of connection. There is a logical fallacy called post hoc ergo propter hoc, so I'm not going to say you can prove it, obviously, but I do think it's uh, worthy speculation. You see, you you look, now that I threw this out at you, for those who are interested, you look up the sources yourself, particularly the book of Nehemiah, and I think you'll see where I'm coming from, but, you know, if you don't, that's also fine, because it's possible to see that it's enigmatic, it's, it's not clear what the dates are referring to, but... I think it's a lot of fun at this time of the year to look into what we can find out in terms of, from the sources and using our brains, how exactly did it turn out, the story of poor meeting the day after. Haman is gone, Mordecai's is the prime minister, Esther is sitting pretty, and so on and so forth. You know, she had a baby by the king. So what did they do with it? You understand? What did they do with it? I don't think they simply said, okay, uh, we're going to be happy that, you know, Haman didn't kill us, and now life will go on weiter. Shachar says it's 6.45 tomorrow morning. You know, I think it was, they, they, they must have tried to make, leave the they must have tried to make dramatic efforts to improve the Jewish situation. Two things at the very top of which would be the walls of Jerusalem and the rebuilding of the base of Mikdush. Anyway, with those uh, speculations, I guess you'd say, I, uh, I close my remarks, and I think uh, that this is a fruitful area for um, those of you who are scholarly uh, to take a look at. With that, I want to thank once again Doe First. It was nice enough to sponsor too. I hope we'll get a sponsor for tomorrow or for the next day, and we'll be able to do the Parsha and Naftar and everything else. With that, you have a good week. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast,